Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Advent. All right, and so we are officially in the Christmas season, as you know, and I have to say, personally, I love this time of year. I love this time of year for a lot of different reasons, being uh, basically a Floridian now since 1967. Um, I love this time of year, first of all, because of the change of weather. Can you guys believe it got down to little 40s last weekend? Or last week, and then this Tuesday, by the way, button up, it's gonna be 40 degrees, so they say, when you wake up on Tuesday morning. How many of you guys, by the way, like this kind of weather? Let me see your hands. Yeah, me too. All the people who come from up north are like, are you crazy? You know, this is why we moved to Florida, but it's fun for people who are used to all the heat and humidity. I also love little things during this month, like lighting our Christmas tree every evening. And just the special ambience, turn off all the lights and the special ambience it gives to our home. We have a toy manger scene underneath our tree and uh, it's grandkid friendly. So we have five grandkids and I love the grandkids coming over. I love playing with them with Joseph, little figurines and Mary and baby Jesus and all that stuff. I also um, really enjoy the fact that for many years our tradition in our family is that we all get together on Christmas morning and before we open gifts, we open the Bible and we read the true Christmas story from either Matthew one and two or, 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 or Luke chapter one and two. And, and so that's always a really good thing. And then I would be lying if I didn't admit, I do love giving and receiving gifts. I really love the Christmas meal later on in the day. Um, by the way, for those of you who are dieting, just know Thanksgiving, Christmas, definitely cheat days, okay? So just have fun on that day. Forget about your calories and your carbs. I, I also really enjoy during December, Christmas worship music. So I'm one of those guys in December in my car or at home, not just Christmas carols, but Christmas worship music is just blaring um, in our home um, when I'm there and I'm wanting to worship the Lord. I love the old songs like, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Have you ever really meditated on the lyrics of that Christmas song, it's just amazing. I like the newer songs like Mary Did You Know and King of Kings. It's just theologically rich lyrics. So much deeper you know, than Santa Claus is coming to town or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And so I wanna encourage you to worship the Lord. Keep him fo in, in focus, not just in December, but every month during the year. And also, um, I really love this time of season because you and I as Christians, what we can do is we can refuse to buy in to all the materialism and commercialism that's so prevalent in our society this time of year. And you and I, instead of that, we can focus in on this fact right here. Jesus is the reason for the season. He's the only reason. The fact of the matter is, the only reason we have Christmas is because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was born. Man, our culture's just made it into something completely different. But we're believers, and so we're gonna honor the Lord. And I'm especially excited that this month, our local church is gonna spend extra time focusing on the true meaning of Christmas. Instead of just having one Christmas message on Christmas Eve, we're gonna have four Christmas messages, uh, it's, we're calling this the, the Advent series, and it's taken straight from the Gospels. 
Now, some of you who are not familiar, uh, you don't come from a traditional church background, you're not familiar with the word Advent. Okay, so what does it mean? The word Advent, we'll define it, it simply means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And then for those of you who came from traditional church, you know this, it is the first season of the Christian church year, leading up to Christmas and including the four preceding Sundays. And so actually, Advent started last weekend. Now regarding that first definition, the arrival of a notable person, you and I as believers, we know that the most notable person to ever arrive on our planet was the Son of God, right? Absolutely, hands down, he's the most important. And so here's what I wanna encourage you guys to do. I wanna encourage you to meditate on the scriptures. Meditate on like John 1, right? John says, says the eternal word was made flesh. The incarnation, the eternal word, the eternal word. <laughs> he wasn't created. The eternal word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And John goes on to say that the people who were alive in that day 2,000 years ago beheld his glory, the glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. And so the people who were alive 2,000 years ago, they had the honor of seeing Jesus with their physical eyes. But guess what? We get to still see him today. We just see him through the eyes of faith. And where does our faith come from? Romans 10, 17, everybody look at me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is the reading, the meditating, the receiving, the preaching, the teaching, the receiving of this word that causes us to be born again, that causes our faith to be strengthened. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this series is because, as I said, it's gonna be taken straight from the word of God, the gospels. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna focus in on Christ's first advent, and we're gonna look at four different passages. All right, so I'm gonna kick it off today with Matthew's account. While I'm in Haiti, Pastor Andrew Sturkin, who is filled with passion, and I love listening to him teach, he's gonna share with you guys next weekend Luke's account from Luke chapter one. And then um, I'm gonna come back, pray that I come back, and um, we're gonna do Luke's account from chapter two, and then we're gonna wrap it all up on Christmas Eve with John's account. So here's what I wanna encourage us to do, that in the midst of this very busy month, this month of December that we don't act like our culture, that in the midst of decorating our homes, that's great, putting up lights, that's great, cooking, cleaning, shopping, fighting traffic, all that is great, that, that we actually honor the Lord, focus on the Lord, center on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we give him first place because he really is the reason for the season. So, right now, if you're looking at Matthew chapter one, verse 18, either on your phone Bible or the Bible you brought from home, can you say amen? amen. I just wanna thank you guys for following along in the scriptures. It says now in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child 
from the Holy Spirit. So here we see that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. And so unlike our modern day engagement period, a Jewish betrothal was a serious, way more serious matter. It was a, bind, a legally binding commitment. And so couples who break their engagement today, you know, they can do so freely. It's just like, hey, I'm, I changed my mind, here you go, right? Give you the ring back, and there's no formal process you gotta go through. But 2,000 years ago, in the New Testament times, Jewish couples who broke their betrothal, they had to go through a formal process and get a decree of divorce. Now, even though the betrothed couple was legally bound together before the official wedding ceremony, which, by the way, lasted seven days, um, even though they were legally bound together before the wedding ceremony, they did not consummate the marriage and come together sexually until after the wedding ceremony. By the way, our culture can learn a lot from that culture. <laughs> so you can imagine Joseph's shock when he found out that the woman that he loved was pregnant. And he, he's thinking, no doubt, I'm not responsible for this, so how did this happen? And there was some views 2,000 years ago. Did you guys know that some of the religious leaders had the audacity in John 8:41 to tell Jesus, and I quote, at least we weren't born of sexual immorality. Can you believe that? They actually looked at Jesus and they accused his mother of being a fornicator. Now, I don't know how you were when you were growing up and somebody talked about your mama, but that would really make me angry, me and my brothers angry. And so how angry was Jesus? You know, just the fact that he didn't just wave his hand and blast them into eternity just shows you how patient and gracious our God is. So what's, what's the truth? The truth can be found at the end of verse 18. Look at the end of verse 18. It says, before they came together. You see that, ladies and gentlemen? Mary was a virgin. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the who? From the Holy Spirit. And so please hear me. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is an essential of the, Christ, of the historic Christian faith. And if somebody doesn't believe in it, it shows that they are not saved. You say, man, that sounds serious, because it is serious. Any, and somebody says, well, I don't believe in the virgin birth, but I still believe in Jesus. No, you don't. Not the Jesus of the Bible. You may believe in a fake Jesus, a false Jesus, but you don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. And by the way, your Jesus can't save you. Because anybody who believes in a quote unquote Jesus who has a sin nature that they receive from their biological father, they need to know something, that that Jesus can't save anybody. But the true Jesus, the eternal Christ, who has a divine nature, who came from the Father in heaven, and listen to this, has the same substance as the Father. That's so important. He came from the Father in heaven, not a biological father. He is of the same substance as the Father in heaven. He's fully God and fully man, and he was born of a virgin. That 
person can save anybody and everybody who'll come to him in repentance and faith and receive his free gift of salvation. That's the truth. So make sure you're trusting the, the right Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, and so at some point, Joseph found out Mary's pregnant. And so he either found out because she told him or because he noticed that she started to show. Now, I, I think that the former is true. I personally believe Mary told him. You know, Mary's obviously Mary. She was a special gal. She was chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. She's a woman of integrity. And so I think she sat him down. Said, Joe, we need to talk. Please sit down. Honey, I'm already sitting. Okay, I don't know how to say this. But, but Joe, honey, I'm pregnant. But it's not what you think. And he's like, wait. What? Can you imagine, guys, how he felt? What? Pregnant? And she's like, it's not what you think. I've never been with a man. You see, an angel came to me, and the angel said, I'm supposed to be the mother, are you ready for this? The mother of the Messiah. And how do you respond to that? How did Joseph respond to that? I, I, I think he was speechless. Here's what we sometimes forget. Joseph had never heard the Christmas story. Joseph had never received a Christmas card, you know, with a picture of him and Mary and the baby Jesus <laughs> and the manger scene. Joseph had never sung Silent Night, Holy Night, Round Yon Virgin, Mother and Child. He did, all this was new to him. His world was turned upside down. Well, let's see how he responds now in verse 19 because Joseph's a pretty good guy himself. It says, and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to do what to her quietly? Divorce her quietly. I'm not gonna make a big public deal about this, but I am gonna divorce her privately. Now, you know how in Psalms, every once in a while, you read the word sila, right? And so, uh, for those of you who are reading through the Bible in a year, five chapters a day, you know, God bless you, but, but here's what you need to know. It's, we gotta be so careful that we're not just reading words to get through the book. Every once in a while, the word sila means slow down, meditate on it, think about it. And so let's just not just keep going through, let's stop for a minute and let's consider Joseph and his feelings right now. Can you imagine what he's going through? The woman that he loves is pregnant. And initially, I'm sure he went back and forth in his mind, right? Should I divorce her or not? Should I get angry or not? Should I yell and scream and throw things you know, or not? Should I believe her or not? I mean, this is Mary. She's a woman of integrity. But uh, an angel, right? And so he's back and forth. It's called being double-minded. Back and forth, back and forth in his head. And I'm sure that negative feelings filled his heart. He's a guy, he's a human being just like all of us. And so what is he feeling? He's feeling hurt. He's feeling anguish. He's feeling probably feelings of inferiority, like what's wrong with me and who's the guy? You know, let me get my hands on him or whatever. All over the place, there's like a storm going on in Joseph's inner man, but then something wonderful happened. Look at verse 20. It says, as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. 
I love those three words. How many of you guys know that we really need those three, year, three words in our culture today? Do not fear. God is in control. On the count of three, can we just say those three words, do not fear? Sometimes you just need to say it out loud. Say it like you mean it, ready? One, two, three. Do not fear. Stop being afraid. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. I love it. Yeshua, the Lord is my salvation, or Yahweh saves. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. How many of you guys are happy that Jesus came to save us, right, from our sins? Such good news. And so Joseph, right, he wakes up and he's a new man. He went to bed filled with turmoil, inner turmoil. His world had been turned upside down, but now he wakes up and he's like a new man. Why? Because he heard from the Lord. And so all, all the double-mindedness that had filled his head and all the negative feelings that had filled his heart had melted away. And now, because he heard from the Lord, he's confident, he's assurance, he's assured, he's filled with peace. Joseph knows exactly what to think and exactly what to do. Why? Because he heard from the Lord. We need to hear from the Lord. If you're taking notes, here's your next point as we try to make the Bible applicable to our lives. That if you're filled with double-mindedness, back and forth, back and forth in your head, and negative feelings, seek the Lord and ask him to speak to you. How many of you guys know that one Utterance from Christ can change everything. Just one utterance. When Jesus went on the boat in the Sea of Galilee with his disciples in the middle of that storm, right? And the wind is howling and the waves are crashing in. It says the boat is actually filling up and they're, they're freaked out. They're like a lot of us. Lord, we're gonna perish. What did he do? He's one utterance. Peace, <laughs> be still. The Bible says the wind ceased immediately and there was a great calm. How do you guys know that we need that right here in our hearts? Great calm. That's what Joseph experienced. Not initially. Initially when he found out his wife, the, the woman that he loved was pregnant, it was like his mind and heart was like the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a storm, turbulent but he heard from the Lord. God loved him and spoke right into his situation. And now Joseph has this great calm. And we can experience the same thing today. If we seek the Lord, and if we ask him to speak to us. Now ladies and gentlemen, when he does answer our prayer, we may not get a visit from an angel. <laughs> But how many of you guys believe God still speaks today? I hope every hand goes up in the room. God still speaks today. And what's the primary, two primary ways he speaks today? What's the number one way he speaks today? I'm holding it in my hand. The word of God. God's inerrant, infallible, inspired, eternal word. You know why there's no errors in this book? It comes from God. Is there any errors in God? No. 
And so this is the number one way that he speaks to us. But he not only speaks to us through his word, he speaks to us through his peace, the peace that passes all understanding, the peace of the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of us. Concerning the word, the number one way God speaks to us, Psalm 119, 105 says, thy word, listen to this, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Praise God for that. You see, because we live, have you noticed, in a very dark world, a fallen world. And so without this book, without the promises of God, the word of God, what are we doing? We're just groping around in the darkness. We're filled with confusion, but guess what? We come to know the Lord, and all of a sudden, we open this book, and bam, there's light. It illuminates our path, and all of a sudden, we know exactly, like Joseph, what to think and what to do. And we have this calmness, this assurance, this peace. It comes from the Lord. But how many times in my 20-plus years or so, whatever it is, of, of ministry, uh, have I talk to people, counsel people, and they're in confusion and they're, they're in darkness. And I say, well, you know, um, are you having your devotions regularly? And their head just goes down. You gotta open the book. You gotta open the light. Turn the lights on. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, but you also know, gotta know, and I'm convinced of this, the number two way God speaks today is his peace. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Rule, that word rule in the Greek literally means umpire. It means to direct. If you're with me right now, say amen. amen. Listen to this. Let the peace of God direct you through the darkness, through the confusion in life. The word also means to decide. Let the peace of God come so that you can make that decision instead of being double-minded. This is what the Lord wants to do in our lives. And so how awesome is it that when we're troubled, if we're seeking the Lord, there's these special times, these special moments in our lives when out of nowhere he will speak, just like he did to Joseph, speak directly into our situation. And all of a sudden we're gonna know exactly how to think. We're gonna know exactly what to do because of his peace. Right in the midst of the storm, everything's going crazy, but we have this peace, this confidence, this assurance, and all the double-mindedness gone, all the feelings of negativity gone, and we know what to do. That's a gift from God. And you can experience it today. I've experienced it a number of times in, in my past, because yes, your pastor has double-mindedness at times, and feelings of negativity at times, and trouble at times, and I really need the Lord to speak to me, and I thank the Lord publicly right now for the times in the past, especially in ministry during difficult times, when he has just showed up and spoken right into the situation. It is an amazing thing. He wants to do that for you. He wants to do that in your life. He doesn't want you to be double-minded. He doesn't want you to be confused. He doesn't want you to be tossed and turned. He wants to give you his peace. And so if you're double-minded in your head and feeling negative feelings in your heart, Paul tells you what to do right here. I mean, how many times have I put this up on the screen, right? Be anxious for some things. <laughs> Be anxious unless it's COVID. Is that what it says? You know, some Christians, they give themselves a pass for worrying. But you need to know this right here. Worrying is a sin against God. 
because he's our father and he's promised to take care of you and it may not always look like what you think it's gonna look like but he's promised to take care of you and if you're full of worry and fear, what does that speak about his character and his promise? Worrying is a sin and I'm, I got one at you and I got three back at me because I worry too. Be anxious for nothing, but in how many things? Everything, by, here it is, you gotta seek the Lord, by prayer and supplication, with that attitude of gratitude, not moping around, not complaining, not whining, no, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God, and here it is, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will, not maybe, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, how many of you guys are thankful for his peace today? Praise God for that. <clears throat> and so we now go to verse 21 again. The angel says to Joseph, Mary's gonna bear a son. You're gonna call his name Jesus and he's gonna save his people from their sins. Verse 22, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Okay, so now Matthew I love the fact that Matthew um, studied the Bible and he knew the Old Testament. He's gonna quote from Isaiah 7, 14, which in the context, I don't have time to explain it, but the prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14, which Matthew records in verse 23, was a sign to the whole house of David. And look at this amazing prophecy, 700 years before Christ. Behold the virgin... Isn't the Bible amazing? The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Jesus is his name, and Emmanuel is his title. It means God with us, which leads you to your next point, and that is that Emmanuel, ladies and gentlemen, is always with us. And this is why we as Christians categorically reject the false teaching of deism. Deism, which basically teaches that God created everything and then went on vacation. No. Deism, which says that God created everything, but then, you know, he's no longer involved in the affairs of our lives. No. Why? Because he's Emmanuel. God absent? No, God with us. He's with you. And if, and it's a big if, But if you've turned to Christ genuinely in repentance and faith and received him as your Savior and Lord, if this is Jesus and this is you, when that happened, you became one with Christ. You are in Christ. That's your identity. You're one with him. Nothing can change that ever. You're not on your own. You're not doing this thing on your own. He's with you. That means that he's with you morning, noon, and night. He's with you when you're at work, at school, and at home. He's with you in your younger years, your middle years, and your older years. He's with you when everything is going great, and he is especially with you when everything is going wrong and the bottom is falling out. He's right there with you. No matter who you are, where you live, what you're experiencing, if you know Christ, you are one with him, you are in Christ, nothing is ever gonna change that. Did you guys know that according to Ephesians chapter two, verse six, that right now, if you know Christ, 
You are seated with him right now in the heavenlies. You say, no, I'm not. I'm sitting here in this blue chair. No. Well, yes. But you're also seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Why? Because when you came to Christ in repentance and faith, what happened was that the Holy Spirit baptized you, immersed you into the universal body of Christ and he baptized you, immersed you into Jesus Christ. Spiritually speaking, you are one with Christ. So where he is, you are. What does that mean? That means that you're up there right now, even before you get there. Know your identity in Christ. Turn off the news and turn on the Bible and maybe you'll start experiencing some peace in your heart. That's what we gotta do. John 17, 23 says, when Jesus prayed to his father about his disciples, here's what he said, and I quote, I in them and you in me. Isn't that great? What does that mean? That means that the father is in the son and the son is in us by his Holy Spirit. And nothing can ever change that. We're sealed until the day of redemption. And so Christ is in you. Hey, on the count of three, say that. Say, Christ in me. You ready? One, two, three. Christ in me. That's your identity. Know your identity. Know who you are in Christ. And so if you're struggling over something right now, something bad happened, quote, unquote, bad happened, here's what you need to know. Jesus is not seated at the right hand of the Father, wringing his hands like, oh, no, Father, did you see that? I didn't see that coming. Man, what are we going to do? No, listen to me. Jesus is Lord. He's, that's not just a saying. Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? That means that he is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal, sovereign, large, and in charge, and you are one with him. He is all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at the same time, and you're in him. So why are we all freaked out? Why are we all afraid? We're in Christ. And so I wanna assure you with this quote that is not original with me, but, but if you're listening to me right now, say amen. amen. Nothing is gonna happen to you today unless it first passes through a nail-scarred hand. Let me say that again, this is good. Nothing is gonna happen to you today. This is if you know Christ. Nothing's gonna happen to you today unless it first passes through a nail-scarred hand. That means that God's got to approve it. God's got to allow it. So let's not be freaked out. The last time I checked, Romans 8, 28 is still true. All things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And so verse 24 says that when Joseph woke from sleep, right, he's a new man, he's feeling confident because God spoke to him. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. So they didn't come together sexually until after Jesus was born, after the wedding ceremony. But you need to know, ladies and gentlemen, they did come together as husband and wife, and Jesus had a bunch of little brothers and sisters. The perpetual virginity of Christ is a man-made doctrine. It's not in the Bible, okay? And so they did come together as husband and wife um, after Jesus was born, last phrase in chapter one, 
Joseph called his name Jesus. Now you need to know in between chapter one and two, a whole lot happened. Scholars believe that many months, maybe even up to, I don't know, like 12 months, 18 months, some say up to two years, I wouldn't take it that far, but a lot of time occurs between chapter one and two. Um, a lot happened, I wanna show you on the screen, um, some of what happened in between chapters one and two. Uh, first of all, Joseph and Mary, they left Nazareth and they went to Bethlehem. All right, you know that. So I'll be preaching on this in week three. Luke chapter two, Caesar Augustus gives the command that everybody's gotta return to their hometown to register for taxes. Joseph is from the house and lineage of David. He goes to David's town, Bethlehem. And then number two, Jesus was born. Um, probably around five BC, by the way. I know some of you, that blows your mind. You thought it was zero, but it's, it's five BC because Herod, probably around five BC, Herod, was, uh, Herod died in four BC, and Jesus was born before Herod died, okay? And he's placed in a manger. That word manger literally means a cattle, uh, 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 animal feeding trough. So Joseph has to clean up the feeding trough and puts down baby Jesus in the manger. The shepherds visited him, okay, the angelic announcement. They moved to a house in Bethlehem. So maybe Joseph went back up to Nazareth, got some things and came back, but they did move into a house. And then Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. He was dedicated after Mary went through her purification period. He was dedicated at the temple on the 40th day. And then, look at the last thing, the wise men visited him maybe months later. Months, okay, so think about this. Right now at, <clears throat> at home, if you have a manger scene depicting the night of Jesus' birth with the shepherds, okay, that part's accurate, but if you have three wise men giving gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus on the night of his birth, you need to know your manger scene is biblically inaccurate. You need to take your three wise men, put them out in the backyard, <laughs> tell your kids that they're on a long journey and they're on their way, okay? So I just throw that out for free. And now, verse one. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in, of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, magi from the east, came to Jerusalem saying, well, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? I love this. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him, and so here's the wise men, scholars from the East, among many other things, I don't have time to get into it, we know that they studied the stars. Now you need to know, I'll go a little deeper with, with you, that before this time where we are in the Bible, Matthew 2, uh, 500 plus years before this, something happened called the Babylonian captivity. You guys remember this? And so. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians come and they take the Jewish people captives into Babylon. By the way, how long were they in captivity in Babylon? 70 years, thank you for reading your Bible. Jeremiah prophesied it and God's word is always true. So after 70 years, they're released. Now here, here's my point, many of them went back but many of them stayed back east in Babylon. Later on, the next empire, Persia. If you read Esther, you'll see lots of Jews living outside of Israel. And so my point in bringing all that up is, is simply this, that 
lots of Jews remained scattered outside of Judea and they settled down, they had kids, those kids had kids, those kids had kids, generation after generation. So it very well could be that these wise men were descendants of the Jews who were living in what's known as the diaspora. The diaspora is simply Jews living outside of the land. Adam Clark said this, that many Jews were mixed with this people, the Magi, there's little doubt. These, knowing the promises of the Messiah, how do they know that? Well, looks like Daniel, were now probably like other believing Jews waiting for the consolation of Israel. If you don't know what consolation of Israel means, it simply means the Messiah. They prayed for him, they waited for him to come and console Israel by releasing them from bondage. And so these wise men, they're living far away in the east. When you get to Matthew chapter one, the empire ruling the east is now the Parthian Empire. And so they, they're there and they see this strange astronomical phenomenon in the sky. It's a star, they call it his star, the star of the king of the Jews. And so they're excited, they jump on their camels, they pack their bags, and they head west for Jerusalem. Now why did they go to Jerusalem? Because it's the capital city of the Jews. And they saw the star of the king of the Jews. And they're like, well where is he supposed to be born? We saw his star. And so now look at verse three. The villain of villains enters the story. And so when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and how much of Jerusalem with him? All, oh, that tells me it's not just three guys on three camels. It's probably a whole big caravan of magi with guards for tens of thousands of people all to be troubled. Verse four, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, now they're quoting from Micah 5.2, another Old Testament prophecy, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so the religious experts told Herod that according to the Old Testament, Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And with that information, verse seven, Herod summoned the wise men secretly, he's up to no good, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. What a liar, what a complete hypocrite. He didn't wanna worship the Christ, he wanted to murder the Christ. Verse nine, and after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star, look at this miracle in the Bible, that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Is this the manger, night of his birth? No, verse 11 says it's a house. Verse 10, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And so the star reappears and guides them to a specific house. There's a star hovering over a house. Now I think by now you guys realize this is not a, an actual star. 
right? There's no way that this can be an actual star uh, because tar- stars are too large to hover over a house. According to a USA Today uh, article from July of 2017, and I quote, the smallest star ever recorded has been discovered by a team of astronomers. EBLM J0555 57AB is located some 600 light years away in our Milky Way galaxy. And so right here, if you look at the screen, on the left, you see Jupiter. And that, of course, is the largest planet in our solar system. And right next to Jupiter, you have, of course, with the rings, that's Saturn. That's the second largest planet in our solar system. Look how big, and they just made this discovery recently, look how big the smallest star in the, in the Milky Way galaxy is. It's about the same size as Saturn. How big is that? Ladies and gentlemen, you can fit 700 Earths into Saturn. So the smallest star is enormous. And suffice it to say, if, the, if that thing right there, that red thing, came and hovered over your house, we'd all be in big trouble, okay? And so obviously this is not an actual star as we think of stars, so what is Matthew talking about in Matthew chapter two, verse 10? Well, the Greek word there is aster, and the word aster can refer to any celestial body or shining object in the sky. So you gotta go back to the original language. And I've always agreed with Spurgeon on this one concerning the star that led the wise men Quote, we believe it to have been a luminous appearance in midair, probably akin to that which led the children of Israel through the wilderness, a pillar of fire by night, or something like that. And of course, I'm always out of time every weekend, but if you wanna go deeper, our, we really love this website, gotquestions.org. You can read all about it. What was the star of Bethlehem? But I do wanna say this, okay? So if you're with me, say amen here. Amen. Listen to this. Just like in the Old Testament, the pillar of fire at night would lead the children of Israel through the wilderness. So now in the New Testament, this aster, this shining light, was leading the wise men to Bethlehem. And just like in the Old Testament, at night, the pillar of fire would hover over the tabernacle whose presence was in the Holy of Holies. God's presence, the pillar of fire would hover over the tabernacle in the Old Testament. So now in the New Testament, you have this shining bright aster and it's hovering over the house. And guess who's in the house? Jesus, God in the flesh. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on Mary and Joseph's door. And Joseph opens the door. You say, how do you know it's Joseph? because the Bible says Mary is with the child. He opens the door, and what does he see? Not three guys, he sees an entourage, a caravan of rich guys. And he sees this light, kind of like that bright light that is so annoying to me. It's, It's over the house. And Joseph's like, who, what is going on? And they're like, we wanna pay homage to the king of the Jews. And they come in, and now, We read our last verse for today. Verse 11, and going into the, what? House. They saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell 
down, I love that, and worshiped him. And then going, and then, I'm sorry, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And so based on Herod's question, hey, when did you see that star back east? And based on the fact that he's about to kill all the children in Bethlehem, how old and under? Two years old and under, because of that, we believe Jesus is not an infant. He's probably a toddler right now. Now, what do we know about toddlers? I know, I got five grandkids, three of them are toddlers, and here's what I know. They're always moving everywhere. Sometimes I just wanna grab them by the shoulders and say, just stop for 10 seconds, I wanna look in your eyes, and they're like, no, Pop, they're just gone. And so let's be realistic. I don't think little toddler Jesus, when the Magi comes in, stands and puts his arms out with a halo over his head and blesses them. Ah. No, I think he's just like, shoo, he's on Mary's leg, and shoo, he's over here, and they just hit the floor. They hit the floor. Are we too embarrassed to hit the floor? And they worshiped him, lifting their eyes up, seeing him running around, right? And they get up and they give him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why? Why did they worship him? Why did they give him gifts? Because they knew the prophecies in Daniel. Look at what Daniel said. To him, this is a messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. To the Messiah was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. By the way, that kingdom is in the future. It's coming to us that how many peoples, and how many nations, and how many languages should serve him, the one ruler of the world. How many guys can't wait for that day? His dominion, not four or eight years, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that will never be destroyed. And so the reason they fell on their faces and the reason they gave him gifts is because they knew they were in the presence of the Messiah. And so I wanna encourage you and me that we be like the wise men. And you've heard it before because wise men still seek him today. Let's be wise. Can I encourage you guys to do this? Don't just be churchgoers. Be committed. Worship the Lord, not just on the weekend, but every single day. And give him gifts. As you heard last week, your time, your talent, your treasure. Don't just be a churchgoer. Make a commitment today that I'm going to be a follower, passionate follower of Jesus Christ from now till the day I take my last breath. I guarantee you a million years from now, You'll be so happy that you did.